Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Duval. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, how are you today? Doing all right. Uh, looking forward to this matchup on Sunday. It could really go either way for the Jags. Um, don't know if I'm concerned or if I'm optimistic, but uh, we'll see as we go. Yeah, I guess this will be kind of like a thought experiment as we move through it. So we all know the Jaguars have been struggling four straight losses after a week one win against the Colts, but they return home after a two game road trip to host the Lions, who have also been struggling this year. Uh, Matt Stafford, he'll be looking to cross the Jaguars off the list as the final NFL team that he has not thrown two touchdown passes against. So it's an interesting little milestone for Stafford there. Of course, we are going to preview both sides of the ball for this contest, talk a little bit about special teams, even though it seems like when you look at the Jaguars games outside of field goal kicks and uh, PATs, just very little special teams action for the most part. But we'll look at that. We'll look at injuries, some stardom sit and of course, we'll get to our bold predictions at the end of the show. Big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. All right, Jeremy, we'll start off with injuries. Uh, Jaguars, they've got some stuff going on on the injury front. Uh, all three star defenders, however, that missed last week in Miles Jack, CJ Henderson, and Josh Allen. Look to be on the right track to return this week. CJ Henderson and Miles Jack are both practicing fully now. On Thursday, they both were full. So that's obviously a positive sign. Josh Allen remains limited. So maybe some concern there still. But getting CJ Henderson and Miles Jack back seemingly is definitely going to happen. While Allen, we're kind of wait and see. But getting two of those guys back is huge. Absolutely. I think anytime uh, you get any of your real stars uh, back, uh, I mean, that's that's definitely going to boost your defense. And again, you know, kind of go back to it last week, the defense did technically have their best game of the season, I would categorize it as. Um, so, I mean, you can only go up from here. Hopefully, you know, these guys can come in, provide a spark, uh, because they're going to need it against a, a pretty potent Detroit offense. I mean, obviously, you know, the Lions aren't known for being, you know, insane you know point scoring team but they when they really hit a groove they can get things going and they got some weapons on offense so you're really gonna need to be at full speed this week uh you, you need everybody out there the best players you can get out there uh to hopefully hold down this offense and, and limit you know their effectiveness this week yeah and then avery jones he also hit the injury report with an ankle slash hamstring issue going on he missed practice on thursday He's a guy that you would like to have, but probably isn't going to make or break your defense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that, like you said, a big body up in the middle. You'd love to have him in there. Uh, but again, you know, along that interior defensive line, we haven't really seen anybody make a, you know, kind of uh, impact that you can't go without, you know, for lack of better words. I mean, no one has really stepped up and, and become an every down, got to have guy. So if we're missing Avery Jones, you know, it'll get some more playing time in for those younger guys. Um, I think that needs to start happening anyway because, you know, if we're being honest, we haven't really seen much from the guys up front, uh, especially along the interior of the defensive line. Yeah, unfortunately, it's true. And then uh, looking at a couple other situations with injuries going on, Tyler Eifert hasn't practiced all week with a neck injury, so you could be seeing a lot more of James O'Shaughnessy, which I don't necessarily think is a negative thing at all for the Jaguars. And then maybe some more Tyler Davis than usual. James O'Shaughnessy definitely is a consistent uh, guy in the Jaguars offense. He has been for the last few years, but at the same time, he doesn't provide the the same type of upside that you would get in a Tyler Eifert, um, in my opinion. Obviously, you feel comfortable with O'Shaughnessy filling that role, um, and I don't look at that and, and, and really have too much concern, but it is going to limit what you can do in the pass game. He is not uh, as much of an athlete, I guess as you could say, as Tyler Eifert. Yeah, he has been more consistent target for Minshew this year. I do think the upside is greater with Eifert, but Eifert hasn't really been hitting that upside, unfortunately, with uh, a few plays that kind of Gardner Minshew has put it out there for him, and Eifert really hasn't been able to just go make that that spectacular play that could really change things for the Jaguars' offense if he was making those types of plays. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest, you know, the biggest impact that this is going to have potentially is, is the red zone offense. Um, I think, you know, Tyler Eifert's definitely a guy that defense is key in on the red zone. Um, it allows some of the other guys, some opportunities, but also he is a pretty uh, decent target to have in the red zone. Something that really James O'Shaughnessy is, it's kind of an aspect of his game that, that isn't really there. So again, you know, he is very consistent. He's going to catch the ball. Uh, he, you know, he's a great blocking tight end. Um, he has been consistent for the Jags here of late, but you are going to miss a little bit of that factor. Like you said, you, you know, Eifert really hasn't capitalized on, on the upside that he does have early on in the season, but you know, the, the dynamic is still there. And without him out there, you're definitely going to have a hole, especially in that red zone. Yeah. Um, and I do apologize if you guys hear any squeaky toys. It's the dog running around getting excited. Uh, that would be the Murray, unfortunately. So apologize if you guys are hearing any of that. Um, but moving on, LaVisca Chenault, he's back at practice. He had been dealing with a hamstring. He should be good to go. He's limited, but he's the type of guy that really can fight through some injuries. And the Jaguars, they'll really need him if DJ Chark cannot go. That's obviously the biggest thing going on right now is DJ Chark has an uh, ankle. He hasn't practiced this week. Week six availability, I don't know. I would be leaning towards him not playing at this point. You want to keep an eye on that as Friday progresses. We are recording this Friday morning. It's about 9.30 a.m. Friday morning. So, You'll want to keep an eye on that for sure. He did announce last night that uh, him and his fiance are expecting. So good news for him on that front. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something worth monitoring. I don't think he'll play. I mean, especially with him, you know, coming back last week off injury, um, you know, kind of 
adding another one to the list. It's not a guy that you want to trot out there and have him fight through injuries just yet in his career. I mean, he's a key cog in, the, in this offensive scheme. And obviously, you know, having him out there is going to put everything out on the table for the Jaguars. I mean, he's definitely going to be your go-to guy. He's your number one guy. But just like you said, if we don't have Visca either, that's really going to put us in a tough hole. And those are your, your really, in my opinion, your one, your one and two options right now. Um, so it, it's not looking great. I don't think he'll play. Um, and we saw what happened last time when DJ Chart didn't play. The, you know, the the uh, wide receiving core was a little bit stale uh, coming out that week. So it's definitely going to be tough. And if LaVisca doesn't play, it's going to be even tougher. Uh, but again, some of these younger guys will have to step up uh, if that's what happens. LaVisca, obviously, you know, the injury concerns have been there throughout his career. Um, he is a tough guy. He fights through a lot. So hopefully he'll get out there on the field. Uh, but again, Two young guys that, you know, if they're not 100% and there are concerns, I wouldn't play them. I wouldn't rush them back. Uh, you don't want to risk anything, you know, permanent or lingering. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think Visco will play. Just getting back into practice on Thursday is a good sign. And as long as Visco does play, if Chark doesn't play, you mentioned obviously the Miami game. I do think the Jaguars will have a better chance at overcoming that issue if DJ Chark doesn't play. And we'll talk about that later when we get into Jags offense versus Lions defense. Um, want to remind everybody, follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo. And of course, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Looking around the division real quick, we know the Texans just got their first win of the season, of course, at the hands of the Jaguars. The Titans, they came back with a vengeance after not playing for a couple of weeks. They really put it on against the Bills on Tuesday night. And then the Colts, they've now had to shut down their facility today after some positive tests. So uh, interesting there to see how that situation will move forward. A lot of storylines going on around the division. I wanted to take a moment. The Titans kind of have this us-against-the-world mentality after being irresponsible with the COVID protocols. I think it's laughable. Like, yeah, people are going to get onto you for ruining multiple weeks of the NFL season. Uh, obviously, fantasy football has been impacted by what the Titans have had going on. I just think it's kind of ridiculous that the Titans are, you know, acting like they're being, uh, being you know, looked down upon as unreasonable. Right, or like ostracized by the NFL. I, yeah. I don't get it at all either. I, I, I don't know if you're speaking specifically on like Taylor Juan's comments post game and and that whole you know scenario mm-hmm. i don't know what that was i really don't, i don't i'm hoping that maybe it came from a a different perspective than what we are taking it as maybe you know everyone thought that the titans were going to come out rusty we're going to have issues you know weren't going to be able to play efficient football and then they kind of put that to rest so my hope is you know for their sake that that is kind of where that stemmed from like hey everyone thought you know we were just going to be screwed but here we are still laying it on i mean obviously they were healthy they were rested all you know the whole nine yards they definitely have the better uh scenario out of the two teams obviously you know the bills are just waiting around to to, to kind of find out when they're going to play are they going to play on sunday are they going to play on monday are they going to play on tuesday you know, they don't know the titans are getting these updates daily you know like hey the the facility's still closed you know you guys are, are you know we're looking to move i don't you know the bills are kind of just waiting around who are we going to play are we going to play the titans this week do we need to start preparing for another team next week so I'm hoping 
like I said, that that you know it was a different perspective for them than than what it's come out to be. But yeah, this whole us against the world mentality, it is. It's your fault. So it is you against everybody else because you know you're you're the the biggest issue. It's like the Marlins in the MLB. You know, they have the first big outbreak. Things are definitely not going right. It seems they can't get it on track. And they put the entire NFL season in jeopardy. And not only that, you know, they put the health of, you know, their own teammates in jeopardy. They put the health of every other player they come in contact with in the NFL in jeopardy. So, I mean, really, it's kind of, you know, a dumb thing for them to kind of boast that and say, oh, you know, everyone's getting on to us. Well, here we are. We're going to win anyway. So I hope everything kind of, you know, clears up and we can kind of move on. I hope the NFL, the Titans have learned a lot from this situation. Uh, we're going to see it more frequently, in my opinion. I just, you know, I feel like once the first domino falls, you know, the rest come after. And, and just like we saw in the MLB, once the Marlins kind of got that first string of positive tests, you know, it did tend to spread pretty quickly throughout the league. So I don't think we're done yet. I think over the next two or three weeks, uh, we'll see more shutdowns. We'll see more rescheduling. Um, and I'm, I'm never uh, against, you know, some Tuesday night football to kind of bridge the gap between Wednesday and Thursday. But, um, you know, it's definitely something that needs to be monitored very closely. Yeah, Tuesday night football is fun. And uh, speaking on a different front about the Titans, the Jaguars made a trade with the Titans midseason. Don't see a lot of uh, interdivisional trading going on around the league. But the Jaguars trade a six-round pick for outside linebacker, defensive end, edge type of guy, Kamale Correa. And they also received a seventh-round pick back in return. So pretty much an even swap, if you ask me, on that front. They traded for him on Wednesday and then subsequently released Cassius Marsh, who plays the same position, on Thursday. Marsh obviously hadn't really been getting much done for the Jaguars. He couldn't hold the point of attack especially against the run, and he just wasn't creating much pass rush, despite looking pretty good during training camp. So they bring in Correa. It's his fifth year in the league, second-round pick out of Boise, hardworking guy. Never really has burst onto the scene as you would hope a second-round pick would, but they seem to like him, and you know, I think it's at least a net neutral move, if not a net positive. Definitely. I don't hate the move at all. Um you know, Cassius Marsh just wasn't getting it done. Uh, and that's not just on him. The whole defense, you know, it, it really has not been getting it done, especially in the pass rush. Um, Kamala Correa is not a guy that I know too, too much about. If we're being completely honest, I would, I love to, uh, I'd love to uh, watch some tape on him and kind of see where he excels. Um, but I heard that the Titans were high on him, uh, but just, you know, some locker room issues probably wasn't getting very much playing time. But like you said, definitely kind of odd to see that, you know, uh, interdivisional trade at this point in the season. But, you know, on that front, it's another guy that we can throw into the mix to potentially make an impact. We haven't had much of a pass rush this year, if at all. Uh, the edge play has been very poor. So again, you know, if, if if something's not working, move on to something else, and hopefully, you know, Correa can come in and make an impact early on. Yeah, hopefully he can. Uh, he was pretty much a starter for the Titans last year, and then he hasn't been getting that same playing time this year. So I think that's why you wanted to move on from him if you're the Titans and why he would be receptive to going somewhere where he could maybe earn some more playing time. So, yeah, probably a net neutral move and uh, potential for it to be an even uh, a, a big impact for the Jaguars if they can get what uh, the Titans couldn't get out of Correa. So now we've got Jags, Lions. Lions are 1-3 and three coming off their bye week. Jaguars are 1-4 and four coming off four straight losses. 
three straight to teams that had been previously winless. So uh, the Lions are favored in this one. Not surprising there, but let's go ahead and dive into the Jaguars offense against the Lions defense. To me on paper, it's a mismatch. The Lions are giving up the most rushing yards in football. I think this is the third straight week the Jaguars are facing the team that had been giving up the most yardage on the ground in football heading into the game. They genuinely look disinterested when it comes to stopping the run. This should be an absolute field day for James Robinson. I feel like we've had to say that, like you said, over the past three weeks, and it hasn't really come to light yet. I don't understand the struggles this offense has been having, especially early on in the season. Once we get into later half of the season, we're going to play some, some really good defenses. So I would understand it then. But like you said, this stretch, Bengals, Texans, and now the Lions, three very, very poor defenses. Three defenses that the Jaguars and Jay Gruden should be able to easily exploit, especially in the run game. And we still haven't seen it yet to this point. The Jags have dropped four straight, and that week one victory against the Colts, that team looks nothing like the team that we're seeing right now. So um, it, it's just a little mind-boggling, but this is going to be the week that they can hopefully right the ship. If there's going to be a week you know, where they can, can get something rolling before they hit this gauntlet that they're about to hit in about two weeks, it has to be now. Like you said, on paper – it's a total mismatch. The Jaguars have great guys on the edge, great skill players who can make great plays. And they've got a undrafted rookie running back who's absolutely lighting up the league right now. And in my opinion, could be in contention for rookie of the year if the Jaguars weren't so terrible. Um, but things never seem to align correctly. And, and you know, we're going to see probably something along the lines we saw last week. You know, it, it seems like when the offense needs to step up, they can't. Um, and when they don't need to, um, you, you know, they, they don't either. It's, it's very frustrating to see the matchups that you get that you're not able to capitalize on. So again, for a third show week, if we can't capitalize on this, especially in the run game, there's going to be cause for concern going forward. And the annoying part about it is it's not that they can't run the ball. It's that they're not running the ball enough. Jay Gruden knows it. He's talked about it ad nauseum. Uh, he, he knows he got away from the run too quickly against the Dolphins. Um, probably did a little bit too much, too, against the Bengals the next week, although they did have that big run called back by the James O'Shaughnessy penalty that kind of put him behind, and then the Bengals kind of just jumped all over them on the other side of the ball. So that was a tough situation. But then this week as well, or last week against the Texans, probably abandoned it too quickly. He admitted that. So can't do it. You got to just give James Robinson the ball consistently throughout the game and not not just uh, go into full passing mode in the second half of ball games, even if you're down by a little bit. You got to keep running the football, keep that defense honest, and keep getting James Robinson opportunities because he has been the most consistent offensive player for the Jaguars when given opportunities outside of a DJ Chark who you might not have this week. Definitely, and I've harped on it all year. Running the ball effectively early and keeping the running game going throughout the game does wonders for your offense. The biggest thing it does is it keeps the playbook wide open. Like you said, it keeps the defense honest. Once you become one-dimensional, the game's over, especially with this team. This team is not winning any shootouts because I don't trust the defense to make a stop when they need it, and I don't trust the offense to have that killer instinct to, to, to go down and put a game away. And then, you know, like I said, when you have 
the defense play a solid game and the offense really has a chance to step up and take control, they can't do it then either. That's on play calling. And that specific scenario, when we're talking about Houston, um, again, got away from the run way too early, something that they can't do because this team is not built to do that. So you have to run the ball consistently, effectively, early, uh, and you can't get away from it. Keep your playbook open all game. The play-action pass will come. Everything will come behind it. It all starts with the run for this team. This isn't a team that can pass and run off the pass. Um, it's not going to work that way. They're going to have to run the ball early, often, and effectively, and they can't get away from the second half, especially if they're having success. You know, like I said, we saw a big run there called back last week on that holding. I get that. That happens. Put you behind the sticks. That's a bad situation, but you can't get away from the run. You can't start pulling away, you know, from, from what's working. And I think the Jaguars, to everyone's surprise, has run the ball pretty effectively this year. James Robinson, again, has been a huge bright spot. So, do what you can do and don't get away from it early like they have been. Run consistently and run often. And, and really, that's what your team is built on. Give your quarterback a chance uh, you know, to make some plays you know, and not have to make plays, if that makes sense. Don't make him feel like you're going to push the ball downfield all game, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. If Minshew lines up and throws 50 passes this week, again, for a second week in a row, it's just going to be very, very puzzling. Yeah, you're not going to win that ball game in all likelihood. Now, looking at that passing game that the Jaguars have, the matchup with the Lions secondary, like we said on paper, this should be a win for the Jaguars. Uh, Desmond Trufant, who they brought over this offseason after Darius Slay departed, he's missed a lot of time this year so far. He's dealing with a hamstring. He has not practiced this week. It does not look like he's got a good shot of playing. And then you look at Jeff Okuda, the... uh, Number four overall pick, I believe. Everybody was saying he's far better than C.J. Henderson. Well, C.J. Henderson has adjusted to the NFL quite a bit faster than Jeff Okuda. He's still trying to find his footing and not playing great football. So even if you look at no D.J. Chark, if you've got Visca, you've got Keelan, you've got um, Colin Johnson, Chris Conley, Maybe DD if uh, if he gets pulled up, but yeah. So I think you'll have some opportunities to definitely win one on one matchups against this Lions secondary. Um, and getting into that DJ Chark uh, issue that we have potentially not having him, they didn't have him against the Dolphins, and the offense completely imploded. But part of the reason that happened is the Jaguars' offense and coaches. They didn't have any time to prepare for DJ Chark not partic- not playing in that game because he did participate in practice earlier in the week, and then he got ruled out basically like 24 hours before the game. So this team didn't have time to adjust their game plan, and they talked about that. This time, DJ Chark hasn't been practicing all week, so they've been able to adjust that game plan and prepare for potentially not having him. Yeah, I think you touched on a lot of that right there. The... the- the Lions secondary has not, the turnover has not been been kind to them. Uh, like you mentioned, obviously Darius Slay uh, being shipped over to Philly and you bring in Trufant hasn't played like himself up until this point. And Jeff Okuda has not had a great transition to league. Jeff Okuda was, you know, one of the best defensive backs in college football. Um, I think he had like one penalty his entire time at Ohio State or something crazy like that I heard, but 
he has not played well. Um, CJ Henderson has been by far the, the better rookie uh, DB this year. And again, you know, he has had his struggles as well. So that really kind of just speaks volumes to how much Jeff Okuda has struggled. So there's definitely, you know, some some room there for you to make some big plays in, in the defensive backfield for the Lions. You know, again, it all starts with the run. Get these guys, you know, playing on their toes and then play action, take a shot over the top. I think that's going to be huge this week. Um, but again, you know, not having DJ Chark, even though that, you know, they've been able to plan for that, I'm still not convinced that the offense is going to be a well oiled machine without him. Obviously, like you said, you know, it was a little bit of a, a shocking surprise when he didn't play against Miami, but that's on the coaching staff, man. Good, good coaching staffs, you know, they don't have those issues. If a guy goes out unexpectedly, you think New England, you know, New England of old, Bill Belichick, you know, they're just going to fold up and then the offense is going to be terrible. No, they're not. And I understand we don't have Tom Brady and, you know, we haven't had that history in the past, but that's what a good coaching staff is supposed to do. Things are going to come at you. You got to make sure the other guys are prepared well enough to fill that spot and fill that hole. So I saw what the offense did in Miami with Chark out, uh, I mean, against Miami. Um, and I'm not convinced until they show me otherwise that without him on the field, they're going to be a productive team. Uh, DJ Chark uh, has been obviously a huge focal point of, of, of opposing defenses. Um, and D.D. Westbrook, even if he does get stepped up, I mean, he's done nothing this year. Um, so until I can physically see it from the team, Very few opportunities. Very, very to few be opportunities fair. to be fair, but there's a reason for that. You know, whether it be he's being outplayed in practice or they want to give these guys, you know, some second looks. It's not like he can just jump in and you know, fill that role. If he can, that'd be great. Um, but until I physically see that from this team with my eyes, I'm not going to get too, you know, too deep into speculation on, well, they could play well, potentially if Chark's out this week. I saw what happened last time when Chark didn't play. That's what I'm going off of. If we don't have Chark, the offense is going to be at a huge disadvantage, even against this weak Detroit secondary. Yeah, I think that's a little bit too rigid of a stance. I get it. Uh, you don't want to give this team credit for being able to do something before they actually do it. That's fair. But I do think it's a much better situation than it was last time, uh, regardless of if you think they can take advantage of that situation or not. It is a better situation in terms of game planning for this for this ball ballgame. Um, now, looking at some of the guys that the – Lions have up front uh, in their front seven. Trey Flowers is obviously the biggest name there. They got him over from New England a couple years ago. He's always going to be a guy that's much better against the run than he is as a pass rusher, but he is getting some pass rushes, some uh, pressures on quarterbacks. So he's a guy you have to be aware of. And then at, on their linebackers, Jared Davis, high draft pick out of Florida, He's been up and down for the Lions, but he has all the physical ability in the world. And then Jamie Collins, again, another guy they bring over, you know, Matt Patricia brings over from New England. And he's a guy that can have a big impact on a ball game as well, even if he's not always consistent. Kind of reminds me um, a bit of Zach Cunningham, honestly, for the Texans, who's a guy that just always balls out against the Jaguars. You look at what he does against other teams, he's not great. but that physical profile and the understanding of what the Jaguars want to do. I don't know if Jamie Collins has that understanding, but physically he reminds me quite a bit of Zach Cunningham. Those three guys you mentioned right there, Trey Flowers, Gerard Davis, and Jamie Collins, they're all big play guys. Those guys can impact the game, and I think those are the guys that need to be the focal point of the Jags' offensive game plan this week. If you are going to attack the defense, 
as a whole. You have got to negate those three guys from making plays. Obviously, Trey Flowers and Jamie Collins can make plays in the pass game and in the run game. And Draw Davis has been a great run-stopping linebacker. So you have to kind of plan ahead for those guys. I think neutralizing them is going to get you off to a great start. Um, especially, you know, effective double teams are going to be huge on these linebackers um, and these defensive linemen and making sure that James Robinson has enough space to get through that defensive line and break off some big runs. So those three guys are definitely, you know, the guys in the front seven that you want to key in on and make sure you know where they are every single play. Yeah, for sure. And to this point, the offensive line has consistently created the space that James Robinson needs. I think the worst performance was last week, but still, uh, despite a couple of negative plays that one of them was because of James O'Shaughnessy last week, just missing a blitzing linebacker who was able to get James Robinson in the backfield. And then one of them, I believe was Zach Cunningham, just getting in there quickly on a run blitz. But anyways, I mean, even with those two negative plays, they were still moving the ball pretty good on the ground when they gave Robinson a shot. They just didn't do that nearly enough. So like you said, you got to create space for James Robinson. You got to feed him to the ball. Um, I'd honestly try to go into this one looking for close to a 50-50 run pass split. If you're passing the ball after punching the defense in the mouth with James Robinson in that running game, it puts a lot more pressure on the coverage guys. Absolutely. And, and personally, I would like to see a little bit more than that. I think you're, you're best when you're in a 55-45, 60-40 little ratio. I think this team should run the ball more. Run yeah, the pass. yeah, I think this team should run the ball more um, than they pass the ball. And I mean, that's just simply because it's it's what you're doing well. You know, you've, you've been extremely effective in the run game. And I don't know if Minshew's ready to have a 50-50 split of this offense. I think he does best when everybody else around him is also performing well, which I know is kind of cliche to say. Obviously, your quarterback's going to have a better game. If your running backs are having a good game, if your wide receivers are having a good game. But in the sense that, like, Minshew hasn't really shown the as much ability this year as he did last year to make his own plays. And when he has, they haven't turned out as well. So last year, you know, he, he made some great kind of plays on his own with his feet, but we haven't seen that as much. The spontaneity of this offense hasn't been what it was last year. So I'd like to see more structured, you know, let's, let's call the play, stick with it. And that starts with running the ball. In my opinion, I think they need to have a, a better ratio for the run game. Um, it definitely needs to be more balanced towards a run. The biggest problem that I think they're going to have with that is outside of James Robinson, you haven't really had another effective runner. And I think that's key for a situation where you want to run the ball more than you can pass the ball, you know, because James Robinson can only carry the ball, what, maybe 20, 25 at most, you know, carries in the game. And where do you give the other carries to? You know, I guess you go to Chris Thompson, but he hasn't really ran the ball that effectively up until this point. You don't have another guy, you haven't shown it yet, who can kind of come in and take some of those carries off Robinson's plate. So again, a high volume day for him, let's even say it's it's 25 carries, and Minshew throws the ball 20 times. Well, hypothetically speaking, that's really only 45 to 50 offensive plays. You know, if you take in consideration you know, any sort of wildcat or, you know, LaVisca doing something crazy or hopefully not another dreaded halfback pass, getting sacked, stuff like that. So, you know, that that balance right there already already puts you at a setback because, you know, you would want to carry the ball more than 25 times a game, but who are you going to give those other carries to? No one has really shown the ability to take that off James Robinson's plate yet. 
I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Visca should get the ball more out of the backfield, running the ball. But um, when you talk about Minshew only throwing the ball 20 times, I think that's a pipe dream just because of Jay Gruden. I think I think minimum you're looking 25 to 30 attempts for Minshew, which I think is fine. If you're around 25 attempts for Minshew, I think that's where you want to be. And Gruden said that that's where you want to be. And he wants to get Robinson closer to that 20 number. Hopefully he can do that. Um, but talking a little bit about uh, where the Jaguars offense could struggle if they need to pass the ball a lot. If the Lions drop into zone, which, you know, Matt Patricia used to work with Brian Flores. They were both there in New England. Brian Flores is the head coach of the Dolphins. He dropped into that zone. He did those, uh, you know, gave Minshew those looks where it's like there's multiple linebackers standing right at the line of scrimmage. Are they going to blitz? Are they going to drop? What are they going to do? That really confused Minshew. I think Gruden wasn't really ready for it. He admitted that um, against the Dolphins. So if the Lions drop into that zone, the Jaguars offense, Jay Gruden and Gardner Minshew, they're going to need to be ready to find the soft spots and exploit that. And the receivers are going to also need to be ready to, you know, just stop on a dime right in between the two defenders and Minshew get the ball out quickly. They haven't shown they can do that consistently, but that's what you're going to have to do to exploit his own defense. Absolutely, and and the key here, there's going to be three keys in my opinion here. The first one is Minshew being able to read the coverage. Now, that's not really something that you could kind of you know look on tape obviously we can look on tape and see what the coverage is and see if he makes the right decision but he needs to know pre-snap what they're going to be doing so you're going to see hopefully a lot of motions this week um, a lot of guys moving around pre-snap to kind of give him a better idea of what's going on defensively because Matt Patricia is one of those guys who can really you know, do some funky things with the defense uh, and really kind of confuse you with, you know, different blitzes. I'm not saying anything too crazy and exotic, but he'll do what he can to throw a young quarterback off his game. So Minshew, first and foremost, is going to have to know where the weak spot are, is going to be in these zone defenses. And the second thing uh, is going to be play calling. Um, and that's going to be, you know, you should see a lot of RPOs a lot of choice routes and stuff like that, especially against the zone. Um, the RPOs, I think, will factor well into the run game. Uh, with If Minshew can read uh, pre-snap everything properly and kind of keep his eyes uh, on the backers, um, especially in the RPO game, you know, if, if they stay, let's hand it off. If they're moving around, you know, are we going to find a soft spot on the outside uh, that we can get either behind the linebackers or underneath the linebackers? You don't have to get anything huge if they're going to keep dropping into zone. Take what's given to you. You know, take the drags, take the outs, take the quick slants, stuff like that. Just be consistent with it. And the third thing is Minshew making the right decisions and the timing has to be on point. We saw in the Bengals game, uh, you know, the interception on, on the first, on the first pass of the game, the timing wasn't there. And, and when I first turned around for that ball, the ball should have already been there. Uh, the throw wasn't placed properly. It gave the defender a chance to knock the ball up into the air and cause the interception. Minshew's going to have to be perfectly on point when it comes to timing and rating the defense. Um, you know, the ball is going to have to be. Uh, thrown in a way that the, when the, the receiver is ready to catch the ball, it has to be there because if, if you float the ball into these zones, you know, the defense is going to be very fluid. They're going to be able to move around, uh, you know, and, and hopefully you see that 
And if you have a linebacker sitting, you know, underneath a curl route or something like that, and a safety over the top, if you don't put the ball in the right position, either one of those guys are going to have a chance to make a break on the ball. So the first thing is going to be, you know, kind of seeing pre-snap what's going on. The second thing is going to be play calling, making sure that you have good plays uh, to beat zone coverage. And the third thing is going to be Minshew's playmaking abilities, decision-making, and making sure that he gets the ball uh, to the right guy in the right situation, uh, and he's not making bad decisions. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on all of that. Uh, getting those routes and getting the receivers running them properly, you know, finding that soft spot, just sitting in the in, in the middle of the zone, like you said, is going to be key. And when you look at the Jaguars played the Dolphins a couple weeks ago, they played the Texans this week. I think those two defenses, while they weren't, the Jaguars obviously didn't, succeed against those defenses they were good warm-ups for what you're going to see from a Matt Patricia defense so maybe now the third time's a charm going up against a defense like this for Minshew and Gruden and the rest of the Jaguars offense I mean they've had plenty of preparation for this type of defense definitely uh like you said it was a perfect warm-up um but at the same time you know it's kind of like getting to the master you know you beat the two uh protégés quote-unquote so to say and now you're getting to the master I think Matt Patricia is a great defensive mind. And I remember back in New England, if they really needed to kind of devise a defensive game plan for the defense to really take over, they could do that at times. And that's a little concerning uh, for the Jaguars offense. If they, you know, see the Jaguars as a big enough threat, there's no doubt in my mind that Matt Patricia can come up with some sort of, you know, bottleneck defense that can really strangle this Jaguars offense. So it does have me a little concerned. Matt Patricia is is a great defensive mind and really can turn it on at any time. Yeah, you're right. And he hasn't done that this year, really. Uh, Their best defensive game came against the Cardinals, where really they just were getting very opportunistic interceptions against Kyler Murray. The, The Cardinals were still moving the ball, still scored 23 points. So maybe this defense just physically isn't ready to do what Matt Patricia needs it to do in terms of uh, being able to have have those exotic type game plan, different type game plans where you just completely adjust from one week to the next and have a completely different defense. Maybe these guys aren't ready to do that consistently. Maybe the Jaguars are the get right game for the Lions defense where they do come out and look how you would expect a Matt Patricia defense to look. I would not at all be surprised. And one way that the Jaguars must be better in order to score points is obviously the red zone. I know it's like, well, duh, Jordan. But they started off the season very good in the red zone. In fact, at home so far this year, they're 100% scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So that bodes well, obviously. But Jay Gruden... Last week, he really, really struggled in the red zone. He had two plays that he really regretted. And unfortunately, those two plays came on downs where the Jaguars had to get the yardage. You had the LaVisca Chenault swing pass out of the backfield on uh, third and goal. It gets tackled behind the line of scrimmage. That play was obvious. Uh, the Texans defense keyed in on LaVisca right when he was in the backfield. They're ready for LaVisca to get the ball. And it was just took too long to develop on the left side of the field. If you run that play and it's a a pump fake from Gardner Minshew designed to kind of get the Texans defense looking at LaVisca, you have a good shot to hit someone else. 
And then the fourth and one, you do the halfback pass with James Robinson that doesn't work out. Uh, Gruden admitted that that was a play that's been keeping him up at night, and there's no reason that it should have been called on a fourth down where you have to get the yardage. So, Gruden, you've shown you can do it around the league, Cincinnati, Washington. You've shown you can do it here. You haven't done it the last few weeks. You've got to be better in the red zone. Touching base on, you know, first, you know, the the defense, like you were saying, this is a game where the Jaguars can get right. Um, This. I was thinking it was where the Lions could get. No, back. no, I, I think offensively, I'm, I'm, I'm talking you. about in in regards to the Lions' defense, um, because I think you're right. I think you kind of touched on a point there where I don't necessarily know if Matt Patricia has the personnel in Detroit to do what he's looking to do. I think that's been you know one of the biggest issues thus far. So, um, you know, some of those things that we saw in New England, you know, that was definitely a better defense. Like you said, you know, you don't know if he has the guys to do what he wants to do yet. And I think that's that's definitely an accurate statement. I don't think the personnel in Detroit is the same. Um, but again, you know, it, it, he could very well pull up some you know, things to confuse Jay Gruden and the Jaguars offense. And, you know, in the red zone, you have to step up. Like you said, it, it's been there before. It needs to be there consistently. And I think the Jaguars are either doing too much or too little and they're not in between, you know, and that's really frustrating because like you said, the, the halfback pass on, on fourth and one too much. That was way too much. Terrible call at the time, line up, run the ball. You need a yard. If your offense can't get a yard when you really need it, like that's, that's a, a, an issue in and of itself. Um, and then at times you're doing too little, you know, when LaVisca is a guy who can be lined up all over the place and draw defenses, you know, away from their position and really get them kind of, you know, off balance and out of position. That's when you use that deception, like you said, to find another guy open somewhere else. If you're going to bring LaVisca out like that and just swing the ball out to him, well, that's exactly what the defense expected. It's not going to do anything. That's when you're doing too little. So you've got to find a, a really good common ground. You've got to run setup plays that are going to get the defense out of position. And I don't see the Jaguars doing that. So when they do things like this, where, you know, they're going to run this halfback pass that kind of just came out of nowhere and, and it wasn't, you know, executed very well and there was no setup to it. But from the, the standpoint of having LaVisca around, line him up in the backfield early, do some things that are going to the defense thinking about him early. If you're going to do something like that swing pass, do it early. So that way, the next time you come back to it, the defense is ready for it. And then you throw behind them or vice versa, or you don't do it early or, you know, you bring them in and you kind of use him as a decoy. And then later in the game, you give him the ball after they thought maybe, well, he's not going to get it. We're looking elsewhere. And then you give it to him. So, uh, you know, if that makes sense, you know what I'm saying, if not, let me know. But I think, you know, it's, it's very tough when sometimes you're doing too much and sometimes you're not doing enough and there have to be other things throughout the game offensively play calling that are going to set up these kind of you know trick plays or you know misdirection plays or hey the defense is going to be over here watching this guy but we're really going over here to this guy if you don't set that up there's not really going to be much success it's kind of like play action you can't just run a play action pass if your offense hasn't been running the ball effectively and the defense has no respect for the run so you know you can't really come out here and run these kind of oddball formations and, 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 you know, do these different things. If there's no real reason to respect it, they didn't expect that ball to go to anybody else besides LaVisca and look what happened. So you've got to have the defense off balance on their heels and kind of guessing, not knowing where the ball is going to go. We haven't seen that. Once you start getting that, you're going to be much better in the red zone and offensively as a whole. 
Yeah, and maybe a play like that works if you do something out of that formation exactly. earlier in the game to trick. Exactly like you said. And you don't do it on third down when you have to have it. You have to have set that play up on an early down um, to where it could potentially work. But even I just think the play design was a little flawed in terms of the Visco one because you're getting him the ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage with like three defenders on that side of the field that are all watching him. Yeah, Visca can make some plays, but when you're getting the ball that slow out there uh, and the and behind the line of scrimmage in the flat and those guys are all out there, he's not going to usually be able to make that play. I mean, he can make a guy miss here, a guy miss there, but asking him to make three defenders miss all at the same time, that's just not smart football. So, yeah, Jay Gruden got to do a better job in the red zone, got to do a better job having balance. Obviously, we haven't harped too much on Minshew. He's the type of guy that if he's only throwing the ball 20 to 30 times, you're going to be in a much better situation. I think he'll come out and be sharp early on. Uh, and if, if he can continue that throughout the game, as long as the he will continue that throughout the game, as long as the balance is there in my mind. Of course, we've got to check out Jaguars defense versus Lions offense. Uh, make sure. Jinjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news analysis and videos. And, of course, check out the shop at jimjag.com. So, Jags defense, Lions offense. Again, this is a big mismatch on paper, but this time it's in favor of the Lions. Uh, I agree on paper, uh, and I am I do not have any high hopes for this defense just from what we've seen from them so far this year. However, the Lions always seem to be a team that can kind of go out and just lay a stinker randomly out of nowhere. Kind of like the Jags. This is a team where, on paper, they should be a lot more successful than they are. I think Matt Stafford is a much better quarterback than he gets credit for, uh, and he hasn't really had weapons outside of Megatron you know, for most of his career. But when you look at the guys they have, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, DeAndre Swift, you know, the rookie carry on Johnson. Some of these guys, you know, that they just haven't gotten production out of. And you kind of scratch your head there and say, why, why is it Matt Stafford? You know, this guy who can sling it all over the place, you know, he's not making these guys any better. Kenny Galladay had a breakout year and, and, and really we haven't seen much of him since um, TJ Hawkinson is a guy who, who can make plays. And so is Marvin Jones. It's, it's really boomer bust always with this team. So in the sense that I can see the Jaguars defense coming out and playing well, I don't necessarily think that's because they're a good defense. I think it's because the Lions can come out and play poor anytime. And and that's kind of been their mantra, I think, for the last several years. You know, can they come out and kind of blow you out of the water out of nowhere and put up a 50 burger on you? Yes. But can they also come out and play absolutely terrible and get stomped, you know, by a very bad team? Yes. So it's going to be key early on for the Jaguars defense to make plays. Kind of like they did last week. They They will need to start out hot i think and give the offense a chance to really take control of this game early um and we haven't seen that but the possibility is there the possibility is there for for this team to really kind of shut down the lions it's going to start up front i think the Lions are going to want to run the ball i still don't think we're really respected in the run game as much even though we've been much much better um and you know some of these younger corners are going to have to step up uh, and make some plays against some wide receivers who can make some very, very uh, a big plays and a big impact if you give them the chance to. 
Yeah, definitely. Looking at that running game, Adrian Peterson's their main workhorse back. You know, they brought him in after the Redskins, or excuse me, the football team released him earlier this summer. They brought him in and immediately plugged him in as their starting running back. He's not catching the ball out of the backfield, but he is, like I said, he's the guy getting the bulk of those carries. And he started off hot this season. First two games played very well. Last two games didn't look very spry, to be honest with you. He is getting up there in age. Maybe a week of rest with this bye week they just had will give him a spring in his step to where the Jaguars are really going to have to respect that running game. But if he looks how he did the last two weeks, the Jaguars' run defense should be in line for a good day of stopping the run. And yeah, when you look at the reasons you think the Jaguars' defense could potentially slow down this Lions' offense, Miles Jack could very easily, very possibly neutralize a guy like TJ Hawkinson. You've got CJ Henderson and Sidney Jones, who Sidney Jones absolutely has to be starting in this game on the outside. Hopefully they can make some plays against Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones and company. And Matt Stafford, he is a good quarterback. I think he's been underrated most of his career, but he's coming off a back injury. He didn't have any time this offseason to get reacquainted, to get comfortable after that big season-ending injury last year. And he hasn't looked very comfortable at times. He's got pretty bad footwork, uh, which obviously we know that around here because of Minshew, how that can affect you as a passer. So there's definitely reasons for optimism heading into this game for a Jaguars defense is getting Miles Jack and C.J. Henderson back, getting – Obviously, Josh Jones back at safety after he got ejected last week. Jared Wilson's back there playing good football. So there's definitely reasons for optimism. Absolutely. Like you said, you know, Miles Jack is a guy who can shut down a big play tight end, and we've seen it in the past. And, you know, CJ Henderson and Sidney Jones on the outside, it's going to, you know, be a big game for them. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, you know, and even Amadol in the the middle, that's going to be, you know, up to the nickel, which we've struggled with since Hayden's gone out. But, those guys on the outside are going to be key this week. Those are two pretty good receivers who can have, you know, a hell of a game whenever they really kind of feel like it. I know that kind of sounds silly, but you know, it seems like Marvin Jones is always, you know, set for at least two or three really big games each year. And, and Kenny Galladay, I think eventually will get back to his form from last year. Matt Stafford is a guy that could be inconsistent at times, but he also does have the talent to, you know, really kind of blow the lid off at any moment. So it's going to be tough in the secondary. Anytime Adrian Peterson is in the backfield, I don't care if he's 35, 45, 50, you'll have to respect him. I mean, he's just an absolute monster. So, you know, that, like I said, that, that's not going to go away. We're going to have to get some pass rush this week. We've said it time and time again, but we have to get to the quarterback this week. Eventually, we'll say it and the team will do it. Um, but until then we'll keep saying it. And I think uh, this week is huge for that. They have to get it done. They have to get it done. This, this offense can really get over the top of you with their speed on the outside. If you give them all day, if you give Matt Stafford three, four, five seconds to let routes develop, he'll pick you apart. Yeah. They like to get a lot of vertical stuff going within some horizontal routes underneath. So it can really test your defense and, and if you can't get there in terms of pass rush, yeah, Stafford can eat you up for sure. Now, their offensive line, they've been pretty good in pass protection from what I've seen on tape. Uh, they've allowed 12 sacks, but I think about a third of those have honestly gone on 
Matt Stafford holding onto the ball too long, looking to get something deep downfield, or their receivers just not getting open, even on underneath stuff. Because these receivers, while they have that elite ceiling, they haven't been playing to their ceiling so far this season in many of the Lions games. So, yeah, can the Jaguars' defense get after Matt Stafford when he's holding on to the ball too long? That's going to be key. And the Lions could be without their center, Frank Ragnow, who uh, he was limited in Wednesday with a groin injury and then did not participate in practice on Thursday. Also important to note, Adrian Peterson didn't participate in practice on Thursday with an illness. Seems like one of those things where he should be back for Sunday, but you never know. And uh, Ragnow, that's going to be up in the air, too. You'll want to keep an eye on all these injury statuses Friday afternoon when the final injury reports come out. But uh, if you're not look, if there's no Adrian Peterson, honestly, I think that could end up being a positive for the Lions and a negative for the Jaguars because that means you're getting DeAndre Swift the ball a lot more. And to be honest, DeAndre Swift is a much better football player right now than Adrian Peterson is. I don't know if I agree with that per se. I really don't. I think. He scares the crap out of me if I'm. If I'm I mean, Todd I think Walsh. really anybody scares the crap out of you right after Todd Wash. Have you? Can you look at anybody and say I don't? I don't expect <laughs> that guy to have a big day against this defense at this point. But I mean, look, I, this, this may just be like personal bias on my opinion because obviously we're not going to get into this now, but we can get into it between you and I or anybody else listening. If you want to have this conversation, leave a comment. Let me know. But I personally think, with it being all said and done, and and this isn't. This is kind of going to go back to the Brady argument against like Rodgers, people like that. I think Adrian Peterson, while he may not be the greatest running back of all time, was the most talented running back of all time. I mean, this man was an absolute showstopper early on in his career. Obviously, certain things, injuries, legal problems, certain things derailed his career. But I think if he goes wire to wire and just has you know a career with no issues, Adrian Peterson is probably the greatest running back in NFL history. But I think talent-wise, he he was the best running back that we've seen play the game of football. I think he can turn on any time. I think you should be scared of him, like I said, 35, 45, 55. I don't care how old he is. If he's playing football, he always has the ability to, to have a, a booming game and really kind of take the wind out of you. He's a big bruising back still, and, and the physicality is something that I would be concerned with if you're the Jaguars. Yeah, if he's got that pep in his step, then yes. But I just haven't seen it the last couple of weeks. Like I said, maybe it'll be back with the rest he's gotten. But uh, Swift, he just he could he can hit a home run. He can make a bunch of guys miss in the open field. I guess they're probably complement each other very well when when Peterson is at his full strength in terms of Definitely. having that pep. In it's his it's step definitely like, like it, it's the perfect complement. It's it's your. It's your big, bruising, downhill runner, complemented by your quick outside of the tackles guy who you're going to feature in the passing game a lot more. You know, it really is. And Swift, he, he does, does have physicality. We haven't seen it a lot, but I, I think he'll grow into a more physical role as he as he progresses along in his rookie season and throughout yeah, once his he, you know, career. gets to be that that three down back guy. I think they're doing it the right way though. There's no reason to to put all that tread on his tires so early. Um he's gonna be a guy that you would hope uh produces for you for years to come. So no 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 reason to beat him up early, especially when you've got a guy like Adrian Peterson. Yeah, and so 
And summary here, the Lions offense honestly should move the ball against the Jaguars defense. Uh, Pretty much every offense has so far to an extent. But the Jags, they'll need to make the plays that are there, which they did a lot last week until the fourth quarter. And they'll need to prevent the gashing plays. Like the Bengals were able to get outside with Joe Mixon and then just run straight up the gut with Joe Mixon and get like a 40-yard touchdown run. And then the Texans last week with that Darren Fells touchdown and then some of those plays in the fourth quarter. You got to avoid just getting gashed because of missed assignments and not understanding what you're supposed to do. That goes on coaching and players. They've got to come together and make sure that that does not Especially happen. if your defense is playing solid. You know, like it's really disheartening to have them play so well or be playing well. And I don't want to say so well, but for their standards, they were playing well. And then just have a mental breakdown or, you know, a lapse in coverage or just an all out mistake really kind of be, you know, the downfall. And then that's kind of what we saw last week. You know, they were playing consistently well. Again, take that with a grain of salt for this team, Um, you know, and, and just a miscommunication and a dumb mistake led to a huge play. So you, you can't let that happen. You can't let the huge plays happen. You know, if, if, it, if an offense is going to attack you consistently and work you down the field and just are, are better than you, you can't help that. I understand that you adjust, you know, once the field starts to shrink into the red zone, you make sure you can keep them out of the end zone. And then that's going to, you know, allow you a chance to still be successful. But when you give up these big home run plays, you know, that's, that's not really a recipe for success. It's going to put you behind, you know, really quickly. Yeah. Now quickly looking at special teams because special teams outside of the kicking game has been such a small part of what we've seen in the NFL this year. There's not a lot of exciting special teams plays, but no Josh Lambeau again for the Jaguars. John Brown will kick and hopefully he will not kick often. (laughs) The Jaguars said they feel good about him, but I don't. I want to see more aggressive decisions on fourth downs when you're inside Lions territory and uh, maybe some some uh, two-point tries. Uh, I'd like to see it. I mean, the analytics point towards those being more effective than field goal attempts and PAT attempts, especially when you've got a kicker that you have I no just, clue. About. I don't want to talk special teams. I don't want to think about special teams. I don't even want the Jaguars to contemplate special teams until Josh Lambeau gets back and we get this under control. Are you telling me this is the best guy they could go out to get in this situation? Mind you, this guy, John Brown, was a kickoff specialist in college. He has never attempted a field goal or a point after attempt in his career. So are you even going to consider kicking a field goal? Because like we've talked about in the past, Logan Cook did the majority of the kickoff stuff. So I, I, I mean, I guess just to have a guy on the roster, I'd, I'd be more comfortable with Logan Cook going out and trying to kick a field goal at this point, or at least a PAT. If you're, if you're inside the 20, even I, I wouldn't even attempt a field goal at this point. Um, you know, unless you get into maybe the 10 and, and, and line it up right down the middle for this guy. I, I don't think special teams is going to really play into this game at all whatsoever. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jaguars go for two very, very frequently. And that's given they find the end zone on Sunday. So, um, right. yeah, I just, it's, it's been an absolute uh, crap shoot for you know to keep things pg for this team when it comes to special teams and you know i just it's been so frustrating for a team to have such a strong point you know of their roster and just have pretty much everything 
crumble down. I mean, the, the special teams was such a huge part of this team. It, it gave you points, and I don't want to say they're guaranteed, but you feel really good with Josh Lambeau. They yeah, were you feel much. really good when Josh Lambeau trots out there. You don't expect him to miss, and that's huge for a team like this where at some points you know, in the game you might struggle to score, but I mean, you left three points regardless out on the field last week. I know that didn't really kind of factor into the game towards the end, but you don't know that in the middle of the game, you know, that, that could definitely keep momentum from shifting, you know, until you go and miss two field goals before half. Um, so it's definitely a crippling part of this Jaguars team so far. Yeah. Analytics, man, let's just go for it. Let's be aggressive. Let's give that offense confidence, show that you're confident in them. If you're Doug Marone now lions, they've got Matt Prater at kicker. He's been all right. He's been around for quite a while. Seven of nine this year on his field goal attempt. He's made all of his PATs. Their punter has been awesome. Averaging 53 yards per punt uh, this year. Maybe the best punter in football at this point. And uh, so if the Jaguars defense actually forces any punts, this guy is probably going to flip the field. But the Jaguars defense hasn't been forcing punts. So might be a moot point. And then obviously we mentioned Logan Cook. He's been rounding into form for the Jaguars as their punter after having a shaky week one. Uh, Like I said, don't expect to see many punts or kick returns in this one. At kick return, the Jaguars have Keelan Cole, who had a nice return last week. He's shown the ability to make some plays when given the opportunity as a kick returner. And then Jamal Agnew for the Lions. He's been pretty average at both kick and punt returns. I think he's got five on the season total between kick and punt. So this is probably outside of the Jaguars field goal kicking situation is not going to be a big special teams day in terms of. Yeah, not at all. And and I think it's interesting to point out that I think we're going to slowly start to see Chris Claybrooks kind of phased out of special teams, which is concerning for him as that was pretty much his way onto the roster. So definitely a situation to monitor. Um, Like I said, especially if you see Keelan Cole and some of these other guys, you know, have some effective returns over the next few weeks. Watch out, Chris Claybooks. You know, his roster spot might be in jeopardy. Yeah, and especially if Sidney Jones keeps playing well. Uh, So that's going to do it for special teams talk. Like I said, there's just not a lot to talk about on special teams with the Jaguars games this year outside of missing Josh Lambeau. Let's talk some fantasy, Jeremy. Start him, sit him. Let's go ahead and start with these quarterbacks. Matt Stafford, Gardner Minshew, are they oh, in the lineups this I don't, week? I don't know. I don't I don't like either of these guys, if we're being completely honest. Too inconsistent. I don't think it's your best bet. But if you got a guy on a bye week, uh, I know Russ is on a bye week this week. I have him in multiple leagues, so that, that's Dak. huge. Dak is out for the season. That's going to be huge. Honestly, I would go with Andy Dalton before I went with either of these guys, if I'm being completely honest with you at this point. Um, that would be my gamble play uh right now i think Andy dalton has the weapons around him where he would be just fine and let's not forget you know Andy dalton's not too far removed from being you know a starting quarterback in the nfl so i think he could pick it up quickly um with especially with those weapons that he has in dallas i think if you have to go with one or the other i'd probably go with Minshew. he offers a lot more in regards to his legs uh but i think there are better options on the table I don't think either of them is a bad option this week just because of the defenses they're facing, to be completely honest with you. Are there better options out there? Probably. Who is Andy Dalton playing this week? I do, we know that? do not remember off the top of my head. Um, I know one that I was looking at was Danny Dimes because he is playing Washington. And I think they're kind of 
Yeah, but I think they're kind of in the same ballpark, man. Anytime, you know, it used to be anytime you're playing the Jaguars defense, you know, you're you're gonna get the start. Um and I think kind of the same way if you're playing that Washington Redskins or sorry, Washington football team defense, I I would go ahead and give them the start. Danny Dimes hasn't been great, but he has the potential to have a huge game. Um the Cowboys play the Cardinals uh on Monday night. Um, so again, uh, it's something that I would look into, especially if you need a streamer or, you know, you need to replace Dak. I, you know, the waiver wire is probably going to be pretty thin right now at quarterback, given the bye weeks and the COVID issues. I've got two on every roster. You know, if you're smart, you would right now, just given the uncertainty of everything. Um, so Andy Dalton probably wasn't owned because he came off as a backup. He's going to be your best bet on the waiver wire. Uh, most likely. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on Dalton getting him in there just with that Cowboys offense. He should be able to get in and score points. But if you're in a pinch, I think Stafford or Minshew are fine. I think you could definitely get by with them this week. Now, looking at LaVisca Chenault, he's been an interesting fantasy option this year. A lot of targets and catches last week. Didn't find the end zone, but he did definitely get you enough points to get you by if he's in your flex. I think you got to start him this week if you've got him and your flex just because no DJ Chark. I think you're going to look at a lot of, I think so as well. And I think LaVisca has become a very uh, consistent performer, um, especially when it comes to fantasy. I mean, you're not really going to get anything crazy out of him. You know, he hasn't really had that booming game yet. Um, You know, the the most points he scored came last week at 14.9. He saw his most receptions, uh, but he didn't carry the ball at all. And I think that's going to be really where his, you know, dynamic comes into play you know especially if if chark is out i think he's going to become a guy who's going to get a lot more looks um he hasn't had uh, fewer than five catches since week three um five five and seven in the last three games so in a ppr league he's going to get you some points um he's averaging you know probably around like 40 to 50 yards from what i'm looking at it's probably going to give you at least 10 points and then that's what he's been consistently um over the last five games he's only scored under 10 once so especially you know this year there seems to be a much bigger uh injury impact um you know lev bell did just get cut by the jets and and signed by the chiefs so he's probably not definitely not if i had to guess playing this week so if you have some flex availability lavisca is a guy who you know you're going to at least get anywhere from 10 to 15 points maybe even more if he finally has that week where he really just booms yeah, he could definitely boom with his skill set and with the potential for a lot of touches this week. James Robinson, he disappointed last week, only getting 13 carries. Not his fault, obviously. Jay Gruden's got to get him more involved in this offense, and he should this week, and this is a perfect matchup. If you've got him, you're starting him. Definitely. Line. James Robinson has has carved his way into a running back one role, and I would think really across the league – you know, he's in one of the best positions right now. Um, you know, statistically, he's been one of the best. I mean, at points scored, you know, he, he's only scored um, 10 or, you know, 10 or under twice this year, and it's been exactly 10 points. Um, and every other week, it's been 21, 30, and 15. So, you know, he's been consistent. He's definitely carved his way into an RB1 situation. And, there's really nobody on this team who, you know, are going to take any carries away from him. So if you're looking for a guy who who is the number one guy in an offense, which you don't really find a lot lately outside of a few of the, you know, real stars in the league, this is a guy you want to look for. No doubt about it. Now, Kenny Galladay, 
He's one of the top receivers in terms of draft stock this year in fantasy football. Hasn't been all that you would hope for. Deal, dealt with some injury, dealt with some different things going on, inconsistencies with the offense. But if he's on your team, he's got to be Absolutely. Galladay, like I said, has struggled to see the field early this year. Uh, missed the team's first two games. Um, and then, you know, he, he played two games before the bye week. But he was as effective as could be when it comes to fantasy uh, statistics. Um, 10 catches in two games, uh, over 100 yards, I believe over 115 yards, and two touchdowns. He got a touchdown in both games. So the consistency has been there for Galladay. Now it's going to be, can he stay on the field? He is you know, starting to see uh, you know, that start to come to fruition for him. And I don't think really there's going to be anybody else in this game really right now or on the waiver wire that you could really kind of go to and put in there ahead of him, especially against this Jaguars defense. I think Galladay is going to have plenty of chances uh, to make some big plays. Is this going to be the Marvin Jones breakout week that everybody looks for? I think if you had to guess, you know, or or point a finger at one game and guess where it might come, this would be my guess. Um, You know, I just looking at, you know, they're, they're, their games going forward. You have Jacks this week, Atlanta next week, Indy the week after that, Minnesota. Jacksonville is definitely the weakest secondary out of those out of those teams. Atlanta is not great either, but you hit Indianapolis and that's a complete buzzsaw. Um, and that's just before you get to week ten. So I think you know, looking at the early season schedule, if there's going to be a breakout here in the first half for Marvin Jones, I would point towards the Jaguars. So if you have you know a, a questionable guy. You know, are you kind of leaning towards playing somebody in your flex and Marvin Jones is an option? I would definitely look into that. Yeah, I would as well. Probably a low floor, but high ceiling type play for sure. Keelan Cole, he's again just been pretty steady as he goes. He did get in the end zone last week, which kind of compensated for him not catching as many passes as he normally does. Again, generally he's a floor play if you just really want some consistent at least like six, seven points. Uh, Keelan Cole can be a guy that you can throw in your lineup. Hawkinson, the Jaguars traditionally struggle against tight ends. They gave up that big touchdown to Daniel Fells last week, uh, or Darren Fells, excuse me. But I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to think with TJ Hawkinson this week. What do you think? Uh, about well, first him? with with Keelan Cole, he's definitely touchdown dependent. So, you know, make sure that you put that in consideration when you're when you're thinking about Keelan Cole. Um each touchdown dependent for like a good, good game, but not for like just getting you Well, if if you're six, in a super points. deep league, then I guess if you know you need a guy who can get you six, seven points, but hopefully, you know, that's not a guy that that's no, not what you're looking So he's for. he's touchdown dependent on the weeks that he scored over ten points this year. It's definitely come on a touchdown week. But in regards to TJ Hawkinson, this is a guy coming out of the draft that I thought was going to be a stud tight end. Um, again, another guy who seems to be a little bit more uh, touchdown dependent this year. Um, in week one and week four, uh, he both uh, had a touchdown on both those weeks, and and that was really the only saving grace. He may give you those consistent low floor, high ceiling, you know, nine, 10 point games with four or five catches for 50 yards. Uh, but if you're really looking for, you know, him to make a big impact, he's going to have to score a touchdown. Now with this Jaguars defense, again, anything is possible. You know, it really kind of depends on what your options are at tight end. Tight end this year is really kind of a null position. If you ask me outside of maybe Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, um, you know, you, you don't really have really 
tight ends having insane games. You've seen Mo Ali Cox have a huge game one week. Um, Robert Tanyan from the Packers had a crazy week one week, but really haven't seen any guys having consistent, you know, 15, 17 point games for tight ends this year. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate. I got Travis Kelsey in both of my money leagues, so I've been set there. But yeah, Hawkinson, you know, if you have him, he's probably your tight end one. I don't have a problem playing him against the Jaguars, but like with most tight ends, you never know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis unless you're just playing those certain teams. Like, I think you had like the Cardinals last year where just every tight end that played against him, and that was Hawkinson's breakout actually in week one of last year, and then he was quiet. But yeah, unless you're playing a team like that, where you can just target that tight end. But uh, yeah, if you got Hawkinson, it's a fine play. Nothing special. Could end up getting a touchdown. Could end up getting some yards. So I think it's okay. And then looking at the Lions running backs, Adrian Peterson or DeAndre Swift, or any of them, or either of them. I have not been privy to the Lions backfield all year. Um, It was something that I wanted to avoid, like the plague coming into draft season. So Personally, from my perspective, I'm not really playing anybody in the Lions' backfield. Um, uh, it's boom or bust. You know, Adrian Peterson can probably, you know, get you a couple goal line touches if they get there, but it's not guaranteed. And DeAndre Schiff, you know, his role is is not really guaranteed either. Um, it's really going to be whoever has a hot hand. And I think the Lions are going to do a lot more throwing this week, especially when they look at the tape uh, from the last few weeks on how these quarterbacks have really attacked the defense. So I personally would not have any of the Lions uh, backfield party in your starting lineup, and I would stay away from that. Yeah, I agree. I do have DeAndre Swift. I was able to pick him up. He's riding my bench right now, though, in my 12-team big money league. Just uh, as, you know, down down the stretch this season, if he gets more involved, he's a guy you want to stash on your roster, but you don't want him in your starting lineup yet, even though – he has had more, you know, net positive games than negative games so far through their first four games. But uh, again, those have been pretty much touchdown dependent type stuff going on. So yeah, leave both of them on your bench. If you've got other options, you should probably go elsewhere. Now, getting into our bold predictions and our final analysis. Honestly, I think it's going to come down to which team wants this more for their coach, for their individual pride. I mean, both of these teams are one-win teams. Neither of them are probably going to be making a playoff run. Don't tell that to Chris Conley, who was talking about the potential for that early this week. But who wants it more? I think that's what it's going to come down to, which quarterback is able to get their mechanics, their footwork under control, find a groove, which offensive coordinator can call a more balanced game, and then obviously the play calling in the red zone for Jay Gruden. I think those are going to be the keys Absolutely. to this game. Could have said it better myself. And and the narrative that's coming out of the Jaguars' locker room is definitely one that's puzzling for me. The way that Doug Marone talks about how hard these guys work and and what they see and and all that stuff. You know, I get that, and it's good, but. It's either A, on the coaching, that they can't get these guys in a position to succeed if they're working hard and, and they're, they're saying how great they look all the time, or B, they're just blowing smoke up our ass, and, and that might be you know it as well. I don't know if, if Detroit is completely bought in on Matt Patricia either, though, so I don't necessarily know, you know if, if the, the coaching aspect you know 
is, is going to have really any uh, any major impact on this game when it comes to who are we playing for, you know? Are we trying to save Doug Marone's job? Probably not. I think he's a dead man walking. I think you could probably see the same for Matt Patricia. Um, I think both of those guys are probably gone before the season ends, especially if, if, if you know, the things don't get better and get better quickly. Um, so in that regards, you know, down to the offensive coordinators, like I said, who's going to call a better game? Um, I have faith in Jay Gruden. I, I really do. I've liked what I've seen from him so far this year, the last couple weeks. I've been a little lackluster uh, from what we saw early on. And that might just be, you know, teams starting to figure out, okay, what is he going to do with the guys that he has? Um, and if that's the case, then you need to adjust. So, you know, it's going to be play calling. We're going to get, you know, Gardner Minshew in positions to succeed. Let's not make things too complicated for him. You know, I don't know if that's an issue. Uh, I don't know the offense, you know, inside and out like they do, but you know, he's still young. He's a guy that is still learning in this league. He just played his 16th game. He just got the first season under his belt. There's still a long way to go with him and his progression. So again, keep it simple. Um, keep it, you know, uh, easy, especially in regards to, you know, having him read these defenses, especially if they're getting into a lot of tricky zone situations. For sure. That zone defense, they got to be ready for it. They haven't been ready for it so far this year, which is, uh, it's pretty frustrating because, it's something that if you know how to attack it, you can easily just pick up these little, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yard uh, pass plays, just finding the soft spot. But tricky for a young guy to get used to that after he's used to seeing a lot more man coverage. But let's go ahead and get into our bold predictions. Uh, I'll start us off on the defensive side of the ball. I'm calling for CJ Henderson and Miles Jack to both create a turnover this yeah week. i want to focus on turnovers as well because you know matt stafford is a guy who can throw three touchdowns and he can also throw three interceptions and you know i think more often than not the defense has has surprisingly gotten themselves in positions to force turnovers like you're saying so i actually think matt stafford throws three interceptions this week um I think that, you know, the defense had picked off uh, Phil Rivers. Um, they had, you know, success in, in picking off Deshaun Watson. And I don't think Matt Stafford brings anything to the table that's different from those guys. He definitely lacks in what he can do with his legs. So I think the defense is going to find a way to turn the ball over. I'm going to say three interceptions for Matt Stafford. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, these quarterbacks that are veteran, that are very confident in their arm, those are the ones that have really struggled against the Jaguars defense because I think there's just a little bit of overconfidence. And those are the ones that the Jaguars defense have picked the ball off against. Like you said, Rivers and Watson, those are probably two of the most confident guys in the league in terms of just what they can do with that arm of theirs. So maybe you could see that from Stafford this week as well. He's certainly got a big arm like those guys. So that's interesting. I, I like that point. I hadn't thought about it too much, but maybe he'll just have a little bit too much confidence attacking downfield and the Jaguars can make him pay. Sidney Jones, CJ Henderson, Miles Jack, maybe like I mentioned. Obviously, Jared Wilson's uh he's got the potential to to create a turnover back there as well. So I like that. And then uh, let's go ahead and move on to the offensive side of the ball. What do you got? So I don't necessarily have a statistical uh, bold prediction, I guess, and, you know, no yards or that. My bold prediction, and this is more of like a you better do this or we're going to have issues, Jay Gruden, is run the ball (laughs) at least 30 times, at least 30 times. If you've got to split up some of those carries, you know, 
I wouldn't mind even seeing some read options for Minshew. He can definitely move. I don't think the defense, you know, will be too keyed in on that. You know, get somebody else in there to, to change the pace a little bit. You know, I don't think Chris Thompson is going to be the most effective runner, but I think you have to run the ball a lot. 30 to 35 times. It has to happen for you to have a chance to win this game. It's going to put your offense as a whole in a better position. So my bold prediction and my actual, uh, when you call it a prediction, I'm saying it's a request from you, Jay Gruden, run the ball at least 30 times. I like it. And uh, we're kind of on the same page in terms of talking about run the football. James Robinson, I'm calling his first 150-yard rushing performance this week as he gets at least 20 carries. That's a tall task, but, I mean, it can definitely be done, especially, you know, if we get into this higher volume for him. I mean, uh, it's just – the trend it's what you're going to see he has been so effective more carries more yards if you give him the ball 25 30 times i don't see why he couldn't go for a buck 50 yeah so hopefully he can get that done all right jeremy you can start off final score prediction <sighs> what you got I, I i think it's kind of an ugly sloppy game all around um i think matt stafford doesn't play well um you know, I guess that's probably against the general consensus. But just like you said, some of these veteran quarterbacks, I think they're going to try to force the ball around on this weak Jaguars defense. I think, you know, the Jaguars are going to take advantage of that, force some interceptions. But at the same time, I, I don't understand the thought process in the play calling the last few weeks. I would hope that changes, but I, I don't know. And strictly because of that, you know, I think Jay Gruden tries to do too much again, especially if we're seeing – you know, the, the defense kind of, I know it sounds weird, but give you more opportunities. I think that offense will try to take shots unnecessarily. So I think it gets a little ugly. I don't think the offense plays well. I think the defense plays well again. And I think we're looking at a 10, seven game lions. Wow. Wow. That would really just, Obviously, Lions winning is with the consensus, but... Um, the Jags are, are due for a dud every year. We have a dud game. I mean, it, usually it's like the Thursday night game against the Titans where we win like 6-3 or they win like 6-3 or something terrible like that. I just think you have the perfect you know, concoction here of two not-so-great defenses, two offenses that haven't really found their stride. I just don't see it you know, being a very good football game. So yeah, ten to seven. I think whoever scores, you know, the, the last points wins. Um, I think you'll see it be a close and tight game with with nobody being able to really break through towards the end. Like I said, Stafford. I think he throws three interceptions. Um, that, that's my bold prediction. That's going to put them behind. They'll find the end zone and probably get a field goal from Prater uh, at the end to win it. Can you imagine the anger and vitriol that Duval will have? If the Jaguars pick off Matt Stafford three times and lose, yeah, 10 it's not to out of the realm of question or possibility, though. I mean, look at last week. No, I agree with you. I don't think it's like out of the realm of possibility. Can you imagine how people how people yeah, will hopefully respond hopefully to they'll that? raise their pitchforks, light the torches, and march down to Everbank or TIA Bank? I'm sorry, man. I still call it Alltel sometimes. So. But, I mean, yeah, I just there's no consistency. Again, last week the defense played their best game and the offense couldn't get it together. You know, who knows what's going to happen. I could be completely wrong. But I just I just, I just, see this being an ugly, ugly football game against two very unpredictable, ugly-at-time teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
I also think like when you're just predicting who's going to win the game, forget the points. I think it's a coin toss, honestly. I think Lions fans think that the Lions are going to lose. I think Jaguars fans think the Jaguars are going to lose. I think overall the Jaguars have a little bit more to offer on defense. Uh, when you look at from top to bottom what they've got, especially if you got Sidney Jones out there, especially if you've got Jack and Henderson, which you will, if you've got uh, Josh Jones and Jared Wilson back there. Do you know Do you know the point spread? I don't What's know. What's the point spread on this? I thought it was three. Jaguars are plus I three, I'm looked. assuming. We yeah, we're definitely at the underdog. Uh, yeah, yeah any, anything between the realm of like plus three and plus seven, that's like a lock. Hammer the Jaguars. If you, if you anybody else likes to, you know, g- uh, gamble a little bit out there, I would definitely look at this game to be very close, very ugly. I would take the under and take take the Jaguars at any points they're given. If that, especially if that line starts to move before Sunday, if we start creeping into the plus six, plus seven territory, I think the Jaguars can keep it close, um, definitely. And I think you're on the better side of that because if they do squeak out a win, you still win. And I don't think they're going to score very many points either way. So uh, this game has definitely the the uh, the likelihood to be a, a total stink fest, in my opinion. It's interesting. So the Lions are minus three, and the over under. Oh, hammer the under! So like, hammer the under. I know both defenses are terrible, but both offenses aren't great either. <laughs> it, but it could be again. If I had to bet, that'd be my bet. That'd be my lock. Um, Fifty-four and a half for real. Yeah, I mean the Lions haven't scored less than twenty-one. And they also haven't given up less than 23. Okay, so, I mean, let's so, say the Jaguars do score 23 and the Lions score 30. That's only 53. That, that's a tall That's a tall task. I don't, yeah. The Jaguars, I haven't seen them offensively put up enough numbers to even sniff that. So they've got to be assuming that, that it's, it's very odd because the line would assume that it's going to be a close game. However, the over-under would assume from a standpoint of my perspective that they expect the Lions to blow the Jaguars out. So... Be kind of interesting to see where where the money is on both sides of that for sure. I mean, I think that Vegas is going with what I'm going with, and I think they think it's going to be a close, high scoring ball game, which is what I think is going to happen. So I think it's Jaguars 31, Lions 30. Obviously, I already said it's a coin flip. Whoever wins this game, I wouldn't be shocked either way. But I do think there's going to be points put up in this one, uh, just because neither defense is playing great. I think there's going to be turnovers, which can lead to points. And I, I just think that Minshew and Stafford will both have pretty good ball games. So that's that's where my thinking is. And I think both teams will be able to run the I ball. I can see that. Uh, I definitely feel differently. I Again, like this is this is a game that I, I think you're right. I think it can be a toss-up. It can be a coin flip. It could be, you know, uh, a total shootout. It could be a total stink fest either way. I mean, who really knows? You're definitely right, but... Um. Yeah, I, I hope I hope you're right. It'd be a lot more fun to see a 31-30 game. It would be for sure. And what we were talking about the Jaguars' best best path forward is to lose a lot of ball games the rest of the season and clean house and just get ready for the draft and free agency. So at least make it fun. Um, <laughs> I'm still. So at least make it fun. What'd I guess if we're gonna lose. At least make it fun. Yeah, make it fun, and um, you know, I'm still not going to go into a weekend and like be like not wanting the Jaguars to win. Uh, 
I just can't really operate that way, even if I know long-term the best route for the Jaguars is to lose a lot of games. And they should lose a lot of games down the stretch. Maybe this will not be one of them. So, yeah. You have any final thoughts on no, this No, I one? think you hit it perfectly right there. Yeah, I, I would never go into a game hoping the Jaguars lose every single time I sit down on that couch in front of that TV. I'm cheering on that team, you know, especially with the gut feeling that, you know, Minshew – is not the guy and, and this team going forward is, is going to be, you know, something that needs to be rebuilt once again. But final thoughts here um, again, talk, touch on it last week. Thank you to everyone who listens. Um, you know, you guys are the ones that make this possible and, uh, you know, it's been a blast uh, up into what we're in week six now. Um, and, you know, things are starting to really roll along. So I hope you guys stick with us for the long haul throughout the season and hopefully for seasons to come. And uh, thank you guys again. Yeah, now we probably shouldn't get into this because we've already been talking for an hour and a half at the people, but you mentioned Minshew long-term. I did want to just come out and say basically where I'm at right now with that because it is like probably the most pressing, one of the most pressing conversations in Jacksonville around the Jaguars right now. I think if this team gets into a position based on playing poorly to draft, obviously, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. You got to If they're there, you got to take one of them. Um, I just think it's crazy to not get a potential franchise quarterback when Minshew is looking more and more like a good quarterback, but not yeah, great exactly. quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you're sitting there in the – around 10 or in the teens, don't force it with a quarterback that, you know, might not be any better than Minshew, in my opinion. Like, or even in the second round, don't just go draft a quarterback because you're like, oh, we need to bring in some competition for Minshew. Minshew's fine. He's probably not great, but he is fine, in my opinion. And he'll continue to develop a little bit in terms of in terms of not his overall skill set because he does have a low low ceiling in terms of his physical ability, but in terms of what he can do as a, as just a pretty good quarterback, I think you're okay. I don't think you need to force it with a rookie quarterback next year, but if you've got one of these guys, Fields, Lawrence, maybe even Trey Lance, I need to study him more before I can really comment on that. If you've got one of those guys, types of guys available. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I I think you're going to be in the position to probably get that done, whether you like it or not. Um, and I mean, yeah, this, this, at this point where we're sitting right now in the season, you know, Minshew, it was his chance. He had his chance. I, you know, I, I know it's, it's an unfortunate position for him, uh, given his situation and, and the leash is a lot shorter. Um, but I mean, you know, that's the nature of the NFL. And if he can't get it done, you know, just where we're at as a team, you know, our next step is, is going to be kind of taking a whole different path. So you can't pass up on one of those guys if you're in the position to get them. Um, and I think we will be, and even a guy like Kyle Trask, I think is going to slowly start to work his way up the draft boards. Um, I hope the Jaguars really aren't influenced by anything and, you know, completely botch the potential number one overall selection because it shouldn't go anywhere else. But should you find yourself winning a few games, um, down the stretch and you're still not completely set on Minshew, there are other options. Although, you know, obviously you'd like to see a Lawrence or a Fields, Uh, suiting up for the Jaguars next year. 
Yeah. Traska is interesting. I'm a Gator fan, but if you're talking about him where the Jaguars are drafting with their first selection, I'm definitely going to probably yeah, be, be out first selection. That. But if you win a couple games and get yourself out of the fields, Lawrence potentially Lance sweepstakes. No, I'm not saying like, I'm saying that whatever their first pick is, I'm not in on right. Trask. I think maybe if you're looking at the Rams selection that you're getting, or maybe a second round pick, we'll see. You know, there's a lot of work to do before draft season, obviously. But my my main takeaway is right now, don't force it with some quarterback that you're just really reaching for. If you have the opportunity to get Fields or Lawrence, you have to take it as much as I love Minshew. But just don't force it with some quarterback who probably isn't going to be a franchise type guy. Right. Absolutely. Well, no, I different understand we're we're a ways out from that, and, and we'll have to reevaluate then. But uh, it's definitely a story to monitor going forward. Yes, it certainly is. So uh, that's going to do it for the show. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jack Podcast. You can find them online at boldcitybrewery.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. Enjoy your football weekend, Duval. And as Jeremy said, thanks for listening. We would not be here without you guys. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.